This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Austin Yerkes. Mr. Yerkes is the president at AJY3 Government Strategies and founder of Six Saturdays and a Sunday. Mr. Yerkes is also on the board of DLH Holdings Corporation and the National Defense Industrial Association. Prior to that, Mr. Yerkes was the president of the Defense and Intelligence Group at Computer Science Corporation and senior vice president business development for Lytton PRC. He received an MBA from University of Miami and a graduate degree from the U.S. Military Academy. Mr. Yerkes, first office, it's an honor and a pleasure. Welcome to Leaders and Legends. Well, it's my my honor to uh, to be here with you this morning, and I I look forward to a very productive conversation. So, Mr. Yerkes, can you describe your leadership style? Uh, in a nutshell, it's kind of military oriented. Uh, I grew up in a military family. Uh, went to eight schools. My daddy retired uh, when I was in high school, and then I went on to uh, military academy. So it. It tends to be uh, what you would think the military is, and that that's a style where you you take inputs from the appropriate sources. It can be staffs, it can be anybody who has an expertise that you're looking for. Then uh, you take the inputs in, and then you make the decision. And it's clearly a single decision. It is not a decision by committee. It's not voted on after that. Uh, so this the style is kind of take as inputs from as many people as you possibly can, uh, and then make the decision. Yeah, so it's, uh, that's, that's the style. Do you ever alter your approach depending on the situation or audience that it, it does one size fit all, even during times of, you know, different uh, stressful situations or, or different types of uh, economic environments? If anything, it's shortened. Really, you really don't alter. I don't really alter this the style of, of how I, I lead an organization. Uh, uh, if it gets into a stressful situation, sometimes you have to do it quicker. And sometimes that quicker is like in an instant. Right? You know, now, from a business standpoint, very rarely are you are you faced with that. So sometimes you have to, I probably would say, take a little bit longer uh, so that people under, fully understand and learn from the decisions that I make. Okay. Uh, and then I'm one that if I, if I find out that it's the wrong decision, I have no problem with telling people, uh, we're heading down the wrong path and I think we need to, we, we need to change. So if, I, if that's altering it, that's what I do. I alter it when I, when I'm pretty sure that the decision that we made was not the correct one at the time. So that sounds interesting. So um, any stories you can share about a leadership challenge like that and how you faced that obstacle and how you rallied the troops to get through it? There's there's a few, uh, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into talking about uh, organizational change and uh, impact on people and, and things like that later. 
but one of the one of the examples that I I like to give people is uh, while at CSC um, uh, we combined two pretty large organizations, each doing about a billion dollars a year, uh, and they were organized by the type of business that they performed. So, for example, we had organizations that were focused on pure uh, engineering services. We had organizations that were, uh, the role at the time was called CETA, Systems Engineering and Technical Assistance. And then we had units that were focused on the delivery of almost products through a systems integration process. And it was working fine. Uh, I decided, though, that uh, after looking what was going on in the industry and where others were having more successes, to change it to a customer-focused organization. Before the business development staff was customer-focused, the operational units were organized by type of service or business that they performed. That, that, that was a, 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 a pretty large change because you're, you're talking about Oh, upwards of ten to twelve thousand people scattered all over the earth, <laughs> most here in the United States, uh, and those contracts had been managed in in such a way for probably five to ten years. But we did over a period, over a course of a year, we changed everything, and we had delivery up. Uh, we had an army delivery unit, uh, Air Force and Navy, uh, an intelligence delivery unit and a uh, uh, government agency delivery unit. Uh, so all the business went into that with one exception. And the one exception was any very, very large single contract that accounted for more than 10% of the total revenue. And we had two of those uh, at that time. So they became direct reports. Uh, that was, that took an awful lot of, uh, conversation uh, and communication at all levels. I, I started it doing it. Excuse me. I bet it did. <laughs> yeah, we really, it really did. Because uh, it's, you know, the, 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 the contract organization had to be refocused a little bit. Uh, the business development organization then was uh, not centralized at the, my level. It was put into the business units by the type of Army business, Army Army business developers were inside the Army business unit, Navy, etc. Uh, so we met weekly uh, on that uh, with the with the staffs. Uh, I met monthly at town hall meetings. Probably had about ten or twelve of those, uh, with you know hundred or hundred and fifty people at each one. Each one talking about why we're doing that. Because we were doing just fine, okay. We were a, a strong organization, growing effectively uh, at about industry rates, five to eight uh, percent. But we were missing out on some on what I thought was some markets and some large opportunities. Um, so after that year, when we redid it, uh, we were still around two billion in size. But a year and a half later, we were three point four billion, uh, and had won two large contracts. Uh, all organic, no no acquired growth. Uh, so it it turned out to be uh, quite a deal. I mean, we were growing at about fifteen percent a year. Uh, we had it set up in such a way that uh, we maximized our profit. We were still in those three basic businesses of systems de delivery, 
systems integration, CETA, and services, but it was all embedded inside of the customer business units. And it worked out pretty well. Uh, uh, when I left after two years, uh, they sold it. They sold everything. So uh, what, what was that defense and intelligence group, uh, now Amy Gilliland has the pleasure of, of managing it over at, at, at General Dynamics IT, GDIT. So that wow. was that was a, that was a fun. I, I really, really, truly enjoyed that. That was a that was a large one. Um, another one was I'm I'm a huge believer in in leaders focusing on on growth. Okay, there's, uh, you know, you can focus on a lot of different things. People tend to bring their background into jobs. You know, if your background is sales oriented or human resource oriented or technology oriented, you tend to bring that in to the office when you when you become a, 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 a leader or people who a person who is in charge of an operation organization. So there's a there was a program when I was still at uh, PRC, it was called the super mini program. And we had passed on it uh, at PRC. Uh, and we passed on it because uh, a competitor at that time, EDS, had built what I considered to be the best team, and I didn't see any way we could possibly beat that team, so we didn't bid. Uh, about three months into the process, EDS decided to not bid, and their head business developer came over and said, "Do you guys want this team?" Literally, okay. And I knew everybody from because it was the product company was Hewlett Packard and I'd done, I probably did more business with Hewlett Packard than anybody else over the last 40 years. Uh, so I said, okay. All right. So I went and talked to our board at the time that, that was at, at, at PRC and said, guys, I got a deal here. It's a, there's only one other competitor. Uh, at the time we were about a $250 million a year business unit. And that was the federal part of, of PRC. Uh, I said, let's go bid this. Uh, and they said, okay. So long story short, about a year later, we were awarded the contract and it lasted for over a decade. You know, supplying uh, computer-based products to principally the Air Force, but others used it. And then it turned into quite a service integration contract after that. So it was led by a, uh, not really a subsidiary, but uh, the same company that, that owned uh, PRC also owned a company called Advanced Technology. Uh, most people know it as AdTech. And the AdTech side of the house is where we led that piece of business from. Uh, so it was, you know, it's kind of make a, uh, uh, again, you have to talk to a lot of people. Uh, it was a type of business that the company had never done before. Uh, I was asked the question by the president of the company at the time, a guy named Wayne Shelton. What do we do when it ends? And I honestly, that might have been the first time I've ever been totally speechless. I had no idea how to answer that question. Uh, it ended a decade later and everybody was very pleased with the results. So that's a kind of an example of a, how, do you, how do you make a quick decision that's different than uh, your core businesses? I'm speaking with Austin Yerkes former president of Defense and Intelligence Group, 
CSC Corporation and current president of AJY3 Government Strategies. After the break, we'll discuss leadership, decision-making, and communication, and why it is important to have the right combination. You're listening to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal's News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Austin Yerkes. Uh, former President Defense and Intelligence Group at Computer Sciences Corporation and Senior Vice President of Business Development for Litton PRC and currently the President of AJY3 Government Strategies. So great conversation earlier, but I didn't have a chance to ask you, you know, all these great stories you have about leadership and, and taking out some pretty big challenges. You probably had a chance to work with some amazing leaders in the past. Any leader that comes to mind that was just really a great leader that you learned a lot from? Probably the uh, the person who I learned the most from was a gentleman named Al Nashman. Uh, Al managed uh, CSC Federal until he retired. Uh, when I first left the military, I went to work for CSC. Uh, and I was a, a newbie in the, uh, in the uh, Army business development group. And Nashman was uh, my boss's boss's boss. Uh, and I had the privilege of briefing him a few times on uh, upcoming potential opportunities to pursue. Uh, Dr. Nashman was interesting in the sense that the things that we now uh, think as normal, okay, uh, 35 years ago, uh, didn't exist. I mean, things like a, a weekly program reviews, uh, a bid, no bid decision path, a series of step reviews. Some people call them other than step, but a series of reviews where you, you bring in a new opportunity early on, hopefully well well before you uh, you actually start writing a proposal. All of those were his, his understanding and how, how he, uh, he structured it. He listened to his business developers, okay? uh, which was kind of unique at the time. Okay. Uh, I mean, business developers were kind of like uh, supposed to keep a customer happy, uh, bring in an occasional deal, but it was always going to be led by one of the operational uh, vice presidents. Uh, he changed that around uh, and recognized that for some programs that are kind of outside the scope and where you need assets from multiple business units in order to pursue and close it, uh, you had to have an individual who was in charge of that capture. Uh, and thus the capture management philosophy began. Uh, and that was like in 1980 or so, right? Uh, and he, he was the, the father of that. I really think he's the father of, 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 of how we structure and pursue business in the government today. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, Still is, as far as I know, Al's still alive. I, I, I don't know, though. That's one, one individual. The other one was a guy and a very, very different personality, a guy named Nick Chabria. Nick was the uh, president and CEO of General Dynamics. And I actually got to know him uh, through my wife. My wife was uh, uh, one of the, well, not one of, probably the premier leadership or real estate agents uh, in our community and handled uh, a lot of the corporate moves into DC to include General Dynamics, and we got to know Nick. Nick was the family lawyer of the family that owned the majority of the shares of General Dynamics. Uh, 
and the family said he was he was engaged in selling off at that time uh, various pieces and parts that uh, that they didn't believe to be core. Then the family asked him to take charge and run it. And here's a guy who was a lawyer, a very very good lawyer, had a great understanding of business, and and what he did from from a style standpoint. He said, I'm going to do what I do best, and I'm going to hire the best I possibly can and give them a set of goals. Okay. If they can complete the goals, everybody gets rewarded. Okay. If they have difficulty, I'll assist them. And if they miss their goals, they can only miss it once. It's a one strike, you're out game. Uh, so he was, he was a pretty effective leader that way. And he rebuilt General Dynamics. Okay. What, what the, the general dynamics that you see today was not the general dynamics of 30 years ago. And over a period of 15 years, uh, he completely uh, re retooled it. Uh, the, the, big, the big pieces, of the, of like Amy Gilliland's world, what was CSC and SRA, now what was called CSRA. That was after I had left and after I retired. Uh, that all occurred after Nick uh, retired, but he was still there from a board standpoint. So I really think Al Nashman probably did the, you know, was the, the biggest influencer on me personally uh, and his style. Uh, and I mean, I, I swear by it today. I've always, I've always structured organizations uh, with how would Al Nashman do it was the question. And from a Nick Chabria standpoint, you learn how to uh, uh, stand up to the decisions, even though a lot of people think sometimes the decisions are not good for the business. So those are those are two uh, standouts. There's many more. Uh, you know, there's a guy at CSC named Ed Bonslav. Uh, Ed passed away in 2012. Uh, he was my first mentor, and he was in an area where I wasn't. Okay, I was an Army business developer. And Ed was uh, uh, his his business. He was an operational business and sales guy, into almost a commercial piece of the of the business there. And he um, he taught me an awful lot. Uh, you know, I was a uh, I'm literally I was a brand new army captain uh, uh, walking the hallways. Um, and in those days, they, did, they really didn't have a a, a training program, so. It, through him, he said, you know what management information systems are? I said, I, academically, I can probably figure that out. Um, so we started looking at that. And he, and he said, why don't you be the business and director of development for management information systems? I said, that sounds like a great idea. So I just went and, got, and had some calling cards made and uh, anointed myself, if you will, as the uh, uh, business development director for management information systems. And then I started looking in those days it had a kind of thing called the Commerce Business Daily of any upcoming procurement that ended in MIS. <laughs> if I could figure out what it was and how the clients, who the clients were and how I could build an appropriate call plan, uh, that's what I did. Uh, so my early successes at, at CSC were all around programs that ended in MIS or that were oriented towards non-command and control, non well, in those days, we didn't call it cyber, but non-cyber non stuff. It was more of the uh, logistics, finance, personnel side of the house, uh, which I still do. I mean, that's that's still the background that, that I have. So those three guys 
uh, probably had the uh, the largest effect on me from a professional standpoint. So, do you ever have any um, examples or um, you know incidents where it was a lesson learned that you wish all leaders had, so they wouldn't run into the same trouble that you wish you knew in the beginning? Maybe some bad examples of some bad leadership that you were exposed to. Uh, yeah, I wasn't exposed to a lot, a little bit, okay, uh, but uh, but not a lot. Uh, the, the 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 parts of the leadership that's that hurt the most are people that can't make a decision in the appropriate time, okay, where they're very very slow, where they have to have multiple sessions on the same subject, where they have to get everybody everybody engaged and everybody agreeing that it's the appropriate decision to make whether it's a business pursuit an organizational change or whatever it might have been uh and there are some examples because that's that kills an organization you miss opportunities uh, uh, people who are excited about uh, a, a change or a, or a new direction quickly lose that excitement you have a morale issue and it, it just uh, kills an organization. So there, I've, I've had to work with a couple of those kind of folks. Most of the time, it was people put into a position that they really weren't qualified for. You know, somebody was, you know, hired in because they were a friend. Uh, not that that doesn't occur today. I'm sure it does occasionally. Uh, but they're put into a, a, a position without the appropriate training. And rightfully so, then they don't know how to make a decision in time. Uh, and it, it takes forever to get things done. And usually the organization fails. Uh, uh, so what I learned from that is, is you know, uh, take the appropriate time. Any appropriate time could be months. It could be hours. It could be minutes, okay, depending upon the situation that, that, that you're looking at. Uh, the difficulty there is, I mean, the, 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 you know, those, those decisions are process-oriented. I'm not against process, I'm actually for it, okay? But a, a process just sets the, the course that you wanna go down, okay? And the course can go quickly if you uh, understand all of the intermediate steps or it can go uh, appropriately slowly. So if it goes too slowly, then you fail. Uh, so that's what I learned from uh, a couple of those, uh, those individuals. Decisions are not equal. There are more important decisions for an organization and less decision, less important. I mean, the color of the couches in the lobby certainly does pales in comparison to, you know, a decision like reorganizing all of CSC. So how do you determine what the most important decisions are? Okay. Can you hear me? Okay, I lost you, I lost you a little bit on that last question. You can... Okay, let me ask it again because okay. you don't want that on the radio. Okay. So we've been talking about decisions, but all decisions aren't equal. Some decisions are more important than others. Making a decision on, you know, the way the lobby looks versus making a decision on how to organize CSC, there's a huge difference. So how do you determine what is the most important type of decisions a leader can make? Well, you have to do, you have to, um, set the vision and you have to set set the course that you're going to go down uh, and everybody needs to understand what direction that that is all right uh, 
And once that is set, then there's a series of, of subordinate decisions that you, that you need to make. And many of those can be made by the people who report to you. You have to empower your staffs, right? Uh, you can't do everything. It's impossible, right? So the key is to, to decision standpoint is know what you have to be able to influence. And for me, if I needed to do something to where I had to get input from multiple sources inside the company or outside the company, that was kind of my bag, okay? I expected our focus leaders and the operations and program management uh, leadership staffs to focus on their business. Okay, mine was the vision and, and the, the direction where we had to have multiple pieces in order for it to work. Uh, and then I turned it over to them. Uh, you know, that's the that's kind of a top level. The other was uh, in the hiring uh, of senior individuals. And a senior individual for me was anybody at a director level. And at the organization, when I retired, we probably had 50 directors, okay? Uh, I personally had to talk with all of them. It wasn't a go or no go, okay? It could have turned into that, but I needed to make sure that from my vision standpoint, that people were being hired uh, by people who reported to me. Only the people who reported to me, their direct reports that I'd have these conversations with. Uh, and it was that it was just that it was a conversation. It was more of a welcome to the to the organization than it was a true interview. Uh, but from that, we had a, two or three people who I, I just recommended that we didn't hire. Probably ninety percent of them were more. Uh, that, that it was just a welcome on board situation. But I always thought that that you had to be from a senior senior management standpoint, very very attuned to the people that you're hiring. So those are, those are areas that I kept kind of in my bailiwick. Uh, was it a, when you asked about interviewing people and the hiring of them, was it a cultural thing or were you looking at, you know, you, you were looking for a match? Uh, well, that's almost the same thing. I mean, if you and, and yes, it's 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 a it's a culture thing. All organizations have a culture, uh, and you may have you may have lots of cultures. I mean, at one time, people said the initial CSC stood for a collection of small companies because it was really difficult to have a corporate culture the way that they had it. And then that pretty much lasted until there was no more CSC. So for me, the interview was probably 90% to see if it was a cultural fit, okay, and 10% to see if it was, if it was a fit from a uh, technology or from a knowledge standpoint. I'm speaking with Austin Yerkes, former president of Defense and Intelligence Group CSC and current president of AJY3 Government Strategies. Coming up next, we'll talk about being a leader that is trying to lead through change. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Austin Yerkes, former president of the Defense and Intelligence Group CSC and current uh, president of AJY3 Government Strategies. Um, you know, 
as we uh, talked about earlier, change can be one of the hardest things to get an organization to, ad uh, to adopt and, and one of the biggest leadership challenges. You know, you talked about a big change that you took on at CSC, a huge change that was the, that completely changed the company and set it on a path of, of huge success. How did you, how do you approach leading an organization to ad adopt a major change? How do you get those forces uh, in your troops to rally behind you to, to change what's already working to, to possibly do even better? Uh, it, well, first of all, you have to uh, convince a small group of people. Hopefully that is your kind of direct reports. Uh, in, in, in my case, uh, I never had a lot of direct reports. Uh, I mean, so, I mean, I was always a believer and put the assets at the pointy end of the sword and, uh, and not at the uh, uh, top of the organizational level. So I would meet with, the, with those folks and I would explain to them what my idea is why I think it's going to be successful and, and really take their input seriously because uh, these are the people who are going to have to execute the change. Okay. Uh, and that can take a while. Okay. Uh, that's not something that you do in a week. Okay. Uh, so what, let's, let's just say it's a month. Okay. Because you have to come up with examples. You have to test your philosophies. You have to test the ideas of your change. Test by testing, I mean, you have to look at what you think of the industry uh, direction is going. Everything that I ever changed was for corporate growth or company growth. Uh, it was never anything other than that uh, that drove the change. I had to be very careful because as a youngster, I, 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 I reacted to change as if it was no big deal. Uh, you know, as an army brat, you move around a lot. You have to leave friends, make new friends, uh, have to go to new schools, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I always had to sit down at the end of the day and say, this really does impact these people. There are people that when you change their, their office location, they go crazy. Okay. Uh, and, and so you have to under, really understand that. So I spent an inordinate amount of time, uh, before making any kind of change, just thinking through that and talking to people, making sure that uh, I understand what the what, what it would what we would go. So once we got once we got the everybody on on board, or at least the majority on board, then we began the process. And the process is you cannot over communicate. Right? Uh, uh, it was a little harder back in the day than it is today with uh, with uh, all the smartphones. Uh, but it was the same idea, okay? Uh, lots of meetings, lots of communication, uh, lots of travel. Uh, uh, rumors will kill you, okay? You know, and there's a rumor a day, all right, um, in terms of who's going to stay, who's going to go, you know, what direction we're going to go in. So you have to, you have to understand that. Uh, once, you, once you hear a rumor, you have to kill it right away, okay? Uh, you know, either through meetings or memos or, uh, most of the time I try to do it face-to-face. -face. Uh, and when you do it face-to-face, -face, you have to ask the questions. Because what I found out is people don't like to ask the boss questions, okay? Uh, they feel it's detrimental. So I would ask the questions, okay, for them. And say, are these the questions that you want to ask? Uh, and then they would, then they would, we'd have an open conversation and, and get to where we wanted to get to. But that's, 
that that's really it. You just have to continually communicate and you have to continually uh, focus on what your vision is and, and why you're doing uh, what you're doing. Uh, and then time will tell, okay? And if you've uh, done all your homework correctly, it's usually, a, it's the really the correct move to make. Uh, uh, even it flies in the face of tradition. You know, you cannot, you cannot manage an organization for what was important years ago. It has to be what is important today and tomorrow. Uh, Rearview mirrors do not work for leaders. So what leadership qualities do you believe is really needed uh, today? I mean, there's so many stress, stressors, whether it be post-pandemic, uh, the change in the workforce is, um, uh, attitude towards um, working remotely or just social divide or, you know, hey, we're in the business of politics here in the Washington, D.C. area. You know, the, the government is pretty divided. So um, what leadership qualities do you think needs to be there today to help deal with these these different sets of dynamics that are happening in our workforce? Probably the biggest one is trust. You have to you have to uh, just exude uh, the fact that people will trust what you're doing and trust your decision. You have to tell the truth. Uh, uh, you have to tell the truth sometimes even when the truth is, is kind of butts up against the uh, over focus on political correctness of today's world. All right. Um, and and if, if you have that trust and people know that you're 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 you're, you're telling the truth, okay, um, you can succeed. Okay? If you change your mind all the time, or if it becomes obvious that you are not telling the truth, all right, um, then you'll lose them. And that's when you have situate you and you can start seeing it. Uh, large percentage increases in your voluntary uh, termination rates. People would leave the company okay, on their own. Right. Uh, clients that don't trust you anymore, okay, that go to another source uh, to get their, their services and their systems delivered. Uh, uh, internal organizations okay, that, for, that, that, that begin to fight, fight for market share. Uh, because there's confusion in terms of your, of your overall direction. Uh, so the, the, the cascading effect of, of a leader not being believed and not being trustworthy, okay, it will destroy an organization. I don't care if you're talking about a, a company, okay, regardless of size of the company, or if you're talking about a governmental agency, or if you're talking about members of Congress, okay, or, or whoever, okay. You know, our world today is, in my personal opinion, okay, uh, lacks that fundamental, okay? Our leaders uh, have a very difficult time uh, being trusted, uh, and that's a shame. So uh, that's, that's, to me, that is the biggest key. What do you think will be the biggest challenges for the IT government executives today, um, especially with the advent and, and the um, of AI, and you know, talk about the ability to be able to mess with um, you know the data around trust. Right, um, people aren't trusting what is coming out with AI. They're they're afraid of, of of you know the unknown. What do you think 
leaders today need to do to help deal with that and maybe take advantage of of the change in this approach? Well, artificial intelligence is not a new thing. It's a new thing in the standpoint of people are now running around, you know, howling at the moon saying the artificial intelligence is going to destroy mankind, uh, which as a traditionalist, I find uh, uh, a little annoying. Okay, right. Uh, you know, it, I really believe that, that, and I hope, and I hope I'm heading down the correct path in my own logic. Okay, uh, that uh, artificial intelligence began as a way, as a as a tool um, to make decisions faster and to be able to get large inputs, large numbers of inputs. Uh, probably the first major utilizations of it was with our stock analyst kind type of companies. Okay, that's. That's more than half is, is done through some uh, model or artificial intelligence focus, but it still has the people uh, influence on it. In our world, I just don't see it taking over. I can't, I can't imagine a, a Nick Chabria or an Al Nashman or even an Austin Yerkes at a desk pushing a button and saying, okay, well, how should I make this decision? Who, what, what decision should I make right now? I just can't imagine uh, you know, uh, acquiescing uh, uh, an important decision that's going to impact people and families uh, to a, uh, uh, a computer program. Uh, so I, I still think it's there. It's going to be important. It's uh, it certainly does uh, speed the process. Okay, uh, uh, but it it can't it can't lead. You can't lead with artificial intelligence. You must you must lead uh, through yourself and your own beliefs, and that can't be put into a program. You're listening to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Lean Black, and today I'm talking with Austin Yerkes, former president of Defense and in, uh, Intelligence uh, Solutions at Computer Science Corporation and current president of AJY3 Government Strategies. Next, we'll find out Austin's advice to the next generation of federal leaders. You're listening to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Austin Yerkes, former president of Defense and Intelligence Services at CSC Corporation and current president of AJY3 Government Strategies. In the prior segment, we talked a little bit about Austin, a little bit about change. You told a great story about changing an entire organization and reorganizing to be focused on the customer. You talked about the need for trust and change. You know, can we talk a little bit more about change and her and time horizons and 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 how you approach it? Sure. If you can picture a pyramid, kind of a drawing on the bottom. It's entry level folks, and then it goes up the pyramid to the top, and let's just call the top a president or a president and CEO or whatever it might be. Um, one of the things that I would suggest that people do is to to recognize where they can influence the most, and where it's important for them to be personally engaged, and where it's not. Okay, so at all levels, the president should know what's going on, but at the bottom of the pyramid should be more focused on uh, individual individual learning. 
so you got in, entry level folks that are learning individually what the skill base they need for their particular job. That's not the president's timeline. Uh, it, that is clearly people who are smarter than 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 the, than, the, than the boss. Okay, teaching what needs to be taught. Uh, then as you move up, you get a director level. Director level is focusing on clients uh, and their employees and their, their time. Again, from a president's standpoint, you, you influence that through your annual, not annual, but maybe monthly uh, meetings or, or today podcasts and, and, and other things. All right. Then you have the VP level, senior VP level, president level. Once you're at the president level, you're really looking upward. Okay, so you're your shareholders, if you're a public company, become uh, where you spend most of your time uh, thinking about shareholder structure and finances of the of the company as a as a whole. So the further up the pyramid, the more you leave the day to day functions and you and you focus on your vision, your leadership, the values, uh, and what's best for the shareholders. Best for the shareholders usually means. Uh, from a financial standpoint, okay, uh, companies today, and whether it's a private private company or a public company, uh, is very few times do they talk about the value of the company being other than financial, okay, uh, uh, from a standpoint of either acquisition or or, uh, or just day to day management. So that's that's one thing that you have to keep in mind as you as you go up. I've seen too many people that. Uh, <clears throat> carry together their job yesterday into their job tomorrow. Can't do that. You have to kind of walk away from, from the job you had yesterday. Someone else is doing that. And you have to focus on your job of, of today. And it's, uh, uh, it's part of the leadership challenge to make sure people continue to understand that. Uh, so that's kind of like where you, where you should focus your time. You're currently consulting for companies um, that are building government businesses. How is switching from the head of the table uh, and in charge to an advising role? Uh, it can be very frustrating. Um, <laughs> uh, but again, okay, from an, an advisor, uh, the beauty of an advisor is you advising, you have, <clears throat> you have no skin in the game. Um, so all, all I try to do is to, is to stay focused on, on, on what I know well uh, and, and from a structure standpoint or from a technology standpoint, uh, be able to share with, uh, with my customers the, the, uh, what, what, what's happened in the past with situations that are very similar, and then uh, they, they take that guidance and, and move down the path. But it, it is very different uh, than having it. You can... One thing is good. You go home at night. You don't wake up at two o'clock in the morning trying to uh, make sure you've done something correct. Uh, you go home at night, have a glass of wine, and that's that's it for the day, uh, for the most part. Uh, but I, I'm I'm not a very good consultant. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, so you're sitting back and and you're you're seeing you're you know I I have been a consultant and. You know, you can give all the advice in the world, the best advice you can, but it doesn't mean it gets applied or they even really get absorbed. Um, what mistakes do you commonly see happen for leaders in companies that you have worked with? You know, the, the common mistake of not 
listening and, and getting that advice and, and then applying those, those years of wisdom. If I can take it off a slight tangent, uh, where leaders uh, get, get off track and actually hurt the company is when they want to become a manager. Okay. Uh, and then they start focusing internally. I used to say leaders capture what managers take care of, right? So leaders run an organization, build an organization, managers take care of it. So you need good managers from a contract performance standpoint, employee training standpoint, HR, finance, those types of areas. Uh, future acquisitions, whether they're companies that are bought, large wins or large investments is what leaders take care of. And where you have an issue is when the leader wants to become the manager. Uh, now, in small companies, that has to happen just because it's a small company. But as the company grows in terms of size of people and complexity, then there's a, to me, you, you have to separate those two functions, right? Uh, and sometimes a leader can be a good manager. Uh, most of the time, not. Okay, a, a lot of good leaders are very process structured, but the process goes very quickly in their minds. Okay, uh, they are not detail oriented. Right, uh, managers tend to be very very detail oriented, which is what's necessary in order for to have the correct performance, training plans, whatever it might be. Um, so that's that's where I I talk to the. Uh, uh, the, the young leaders of today, making sure that this this separation of, of job responsibilities okay has to has to stay that way. So you've had such an amazing career. Um, can you describe your career path? And if there was somebody out there that would like to follow in your footsteps and maybe become a president of a major corporation like you did at CSC. What advice would you have for them to end today's world? Uh, I can only tell you what I did. Okay. I was always a self-achiever. Uh, the example was when we made myself the director of managing information systems. Uh, but then I, I also believe that in order to make the appropriate decisions, you had to have more than just a working knowledge of, of the structure around you, uh, structure being either financial, contractual, uh, and you can't just parrot things. So I made it a point to uh, uh, make personal friends and actually work. Okay, so I some days instead of business development, I would spend two or three days in the contracts shop. Okay, learning, asking questions, and they found that to be interesting. That somebody from marketing would come down and find out what's going on, and you know how how do you set up an employee training program. Uh, what's the differences between types of contracts? Uh, you know, where where is profitability highest? Where it's not highest? Um, so I did that. I mean, I I spent a significant amount of time in HR, contracts, finance through the years, and I would I would tell people that that's what you need to do. You're not going to find a, a a training program for that. You have to go out and do it yourself. Uh, and then when you sit in a room, then you then you 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 have you don't set, set up a situation where your decision has unintended consequences 
okay, that you've actually thought through uh, all of the all the consequences and and taken care of that because that's that's one of the worst things that can happen when people don't recognize the unintended consequences of a decision that they make where they haven't thought through what's the impact going to be on people, what's the impact going to be on the type of contract or their clients. Mr. Yerkes, you gave some great advice for somebody who'd like to follow in your footprints, uh, foot, footsteps, um, excuse me, for your career. What about personal advice? What would you say to your kids, your grandkids, uh, when they're graduating from high school and uh, just live advice? Uh, that's a little harder than uh, office advice. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, to me, uh, what I've always told them is don't be afraid to tell the truth. Okay. Uh, my father used to tell me I'm too dumb to lie, so don't even try. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that was true or not, but, uh, but what, I, what I try to instill on the grandchildren and my, 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 my child is failure is okay. Okay, as long as you try. Uh, find out what, 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 what caused you to fail and, and fix it, whether it's studying or whether it's working harder or whether it's running faster or uh, whatever it might be. Okay, but uh, every, every day is a learning experience. And at the end of the day, you ought to be able to say, this is what I learned today. Okay, and it can be simple. It can be a new word. It could be a new football play, a new lacrosse play, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, Trust everybody, okay, until they uh, show that they cannot be trusted. Uh, live with everybody, okay. Uh, have multiple multiple friends, right? Uh, I always used to say, try try to find the excellence in everybody, okay, and the goodness in everybody, because it's there, right? Uh, uh, the thing I used to use with my grandchildren is, if you ever see a group of babies playing, okay, uh, uh, multiple multiple ethnicities. Okay, uh, they don't know. They're having a grand time, right? Uh, you have to. You're, you're born to love, and you're born to learn, uh, and that's what you really need to focus at. If you focus at that throughout your life, uh, you will be a good person, uh, and you will have a very uh, successful life. Sometimes not me measured in dollars, but measured in the number of friends that you have. Uh, what people think of you and what they say about you when you're not there. So integrity is important, very important. Tell the truth, very, very important. Seek the love side of people, not the hate side of people. Uh, I can't stand it with some of the things that I see going on today because it's it's just such BS. Okay, I mean, we, we, we've, we've created a situation from the highest elements of the government uh, that's uh, and I'm not talking political parties. It's just it's just exceptionally annoying to a traditionalist like myself to see what's going on in this this great country. So we focused on what we do well, and when we're little babies, we we are very good at loving, and when we get older, uh, we need to continue that. And so trust and love your your, your brothers and sisters, and uh, uh, life will be good. My guest today has been Austin Yerkes. Austin, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your personal journey and some seriously valuable advice. I'm Eileen Black. Thanks for listening. 
You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Podcast One.